0: From Judges 8, Zerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had seventy sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine who was in Shechem also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father at Ophrah of the Abiezrites. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals, and made Baal Bereth their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side, and they did not show steadfast love to the family of Zerubbabel, that is Gideon, in return for all the good he had done to Israel. Now Abimelech, the son of Zerubbabel, went to Shechem to see his mother's relatives, and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you? that all 70 of the sons of Zerubbabel rule over you, or that one rule over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-bereth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah, and killed his brothers, the sons of Zerubbabel, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Zerubbabel, was left, for he had hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on the top of Mount Gerasim, and cried aloud, and said to them, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance, by which gods and men are honored, and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit, and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men, and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble, and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, And if you have dealt well with Zerubbabel and his house and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Zerubbabel and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth-Melo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth-Melo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank
1: you, Austin. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Would you join me in prayer as we begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this snowy Sunday morning. And we ask, oh Lord, that uh, as we read a passage that is filled with destruction and and deviousness and and, and painful choices, um, that you would remind us um, of the severity of sin and turning from you but also of your grace and of the forgiveness that is ours, the, the forgiveness that cleanses us and washes us uh, as white as snow. And so, Lord, may, uh, may our hearts incline to a better king this morning. Speak to us um, as you delight to through your spirit and by your word. In Christ's name, amen. What would you do to be seen, soothed, safe, and secure? Psychologists tell us that that those are four core human longings. And because, you know, we all long for those things, because God has made us to experience those things, we can become pretty desperate when they're lacking or in short supply or, or non-existent in our lives, to be seen, soothed, safe, and secure. To be seen is, is to be known, it's, it's to have someone look you in the eyes, to, to have someone genuinely listen, you know, you walk away feeling heard. To be soothed is to be cared for and comforted, like a nursing child with its mother. To be safe means something like, you know, in this place and, and with these people, I can let my guard down. And to be secure is, is to be settled in the reality that all shall be well. My future will be peaceful and good. I don't have to live an autonomous life and get my needs met on my own and in my own way. What would you do to be seen, soothed, safe, and secure? In our passage for today, two of those longings are the driving forces of the narrative. Abimelech is motivated by a longing to be seen. And the leaders of Shechem are motivated by a longing for security. And this this story is so prescient because it, it shows us the disastrous outcomes of pursuing these longings in our own strength and for our own ends. This is a story of what happens when we turn from the Lord and live for this life only. This is what happens when we will do anything to get our own way. This is a story that displays the disastrous outcomes of choosing what is easy and expedient and pragmatic over what is good and faithful and true. We've been saying all throughout this series uh, that we are in a spiritual battle. You know, every day we are, we are faced with decisions and choices that, that either move us toward resting in Jesus or striving in our own limited strength to secure our own ends. Every day we are faced with decisions and choices to to be seen, to find our identity in Jesus, or to grasp at this life and grasp at limited control. This is a disastrous story that is meant to show us the incoherence of evil and the faithfulness of God, that we might more and more aim our longings and our lives towards him. Our story has two main characters: Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. Abimelech is the son of Gideon, Zerubbabel, or Jerobel, as I'll call him throughout the sermon. And Gideon, whom we learned about last Sunday, uh, is called Jerabbel because he tore down the altars of Baal. And we really can't understand Abimelech if we don't get a grasp on his dad, a Gideon. Gideon was a hero. People adored him, and they, they wanted to make him king. He came from humble beginnings, and he rose to superstardom in Israel. I, I humans, apparently, have always loved rags-to-riches stories. You know, he subdued their enemies and gave the land rest for 40 years. And, and, and could you imagine growing up in someone like that's shadow? You know, think, think about being one of Michael Jordan's sons. You know, I can't, I can't conceive of the pressure they must have grown up under. You know, paparazzi and reporters just swarming you every time you step out the door. People only interested in you because of your dad. You know, will you play basketball too? Will you go to North Carolina too? And all the while, everyone knows he could never be as good as Michael Jordan. He could never really be like Mike. And that is exactly the reality for Abimelech. His name, Abimelech, literally means, my father is king. Everywhere he went, he was Gideon's boy. His name forever linked him with his father. Hey, Abimelech, how's your dad doing? Hey, Abimelech, I I thought your dad refused to be king. So why is your name, my father is king? And look at 830 and 831 for our passage. Do you notice how the narrator creates a distance between Gideon's real sons and Abimelech? Now, Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, and his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. So he, he wasn't just Gideon's boy with an ill-fitting name. He was Gideon's lesser son. Gideon's son who wouldn't gain any inheritance because his mom was a concubine. He was a second-class son from a second-class mom. Often addressed, but never heard. Looked at, but never seen. Talked to, but never with. And now we're starting to get a sense of who Abimelech is. And I don't doubt that some of you feel a level of sympathy for him. You know, he, he's a man whose destiny seems bound up with his name. A man of deep resentment, a man who is desperate to be seen. And maybe, maybe you can understand that in some way. You know, maybe, maybe your mom or dad were were pretty successful, and you carry around a, a deep sense of needing to measure up. Maybe much of your life has been been spent living out a script that you feel like was handed to you. What what do you do with that kind of ache? Where do you turn to with, with complicated emotions like that? How do, you, how do you keep that familial brokenness that we all experience from becoming the controlling and dominating force in your life? What will Abimelech do? How will he seek to become somebody? How will he get out from his dad's shadow? How will he... Make a name for himself. Now Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jeroboam rule over you or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. Abimelech is making a play for power by aligning himself with the people of Shechem. And in our story, Shechem is meant to represent the whole of Israel. That's what it says just after this in 833 and 34. The people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal-berit their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side what were the leaders of Shechem, what were they after, what were they doing, it's directly related to Israel's idolatry. Verse 3, the leaders of Shechem's hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. And that language of hearts inclining speaks to desire. The leaders of Shechem, that is all Israel, want stability. They want order. They want security. They want a future that is peaceful and good. And of course they do, right? We all want that. That's what God wants for us. That's why God led them out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land in the first place. But their hearts are inclining towards a different vision of the future, a godless vision, a vision with their own kind of king on the throne. Gideon died in the times they are a change in, and they want to make sure they get somebody on the throne who will do things their way. Did you catch their, their reasoning, their logic? He is our brother. That is, they want a good and peaceful future on their own terms, not God's. A good and peaceful future as they define it. A good and peaceful future without reference to the Lord. They want a king that will serve their interests and their agendas. And what better way to do that than to get one of your own in office? And I, and I think we can all get that, don't we? You know, this, this account is thousands of years old, but this story plays out in our world on a daily basis. You know, on a geopolitical level, on a national level, on a familial level, we all feel a pull between a, a good desire for someone who will represent my interest versus a, a lesser desire for someone who will represent my interests and put their finger on the scale to make sure that I win. What becomes of a world like that? What becomes of a world when everyone is looking out for numero uno? What happens in a family when when one person perpetually gets their own way? What happens when we seek to wrest control from God's hands and seek to be the king of the hill, or the workplace, or the street, or the house? The leaders of Shechem, who are wise in their own eyes, take 70 pieces of silver from their Baal temple as blood money. And Abimelech takes the money and hires worthless and reckless fellows who follow him. Abimelech then goes to his father's house at Ophrah and murders all 70 of his brothers on one stone. On one stone, which means a single file execution line. And the text suggests that Abimelech is the one who did the executing. This is how he decided to make a name for himself. I will cut off any memory of Gideon, says Abimelech, even though he himself still has Gideon's blood in his veins. But he is blinded by rage, and so he executes brother after brother after brother. I will prove my worth to the leaders of Shechem, Everyone will see that I am better than my father. He had no vision. He had no tenacity. The throne was ripe for the taking. And his weakness kept him from it. Why? Because some lord in the sky told him not to? His loyalty to the Lord was weakness. It kept him from seizing the day. What has the Lord done for us lately? I will cut off this weakness of Gideon from the land brother after brother after brother. He not only chooses ruthlessness, he reveals an idolatrous story that has been eating away at his soul his whole life. Actions flow from the heart. They flow from whom we adore. They flow from the story of the God that is at the center of our life. These people don't need the Lord, says Abimelech. They need a real man who is willing to do what it takes to seize control. His actions fit his narrative. But it's a funny thing, control. You know, control is elusive in a world like ours. We, we aren't as strong as we think we are. We aren't as powerful as we think we are or, or as maybe we want others to think we are. We can cause devastation but we can't account for every eventuality. We don't know if Abimelech assumed he killed all 70 of his brothers. You know, maybe in his rage he lost count. We don't know if he knew one escaped, but he kept it hush-hush from the leaders of Shechem. But in any event, Abimelech's plan did not go off without a hitch. Jotham, his youngest brother, escaped. And when Jotham was told that Abimelech was made king, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud so that everyone would know the truth. Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. And Jotham, you know, covered in dirt, splattered with his own brother's blood, tells a parable. The trees went out, says Jotham, to anoint a king. And they go to proposition the olive tree. Rain over us. But the olive tree says, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and gold hold sway over the trees? So they ask the fig tree. And the fig tree says, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and gold hold sway over the trees? Another no. So the trees ask the vine. And the vine says, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Strike three. Probably should have gotten the hint, but the desperate trees have one last idea. Well, since the trees that are useful to society are all otherwise occupied, let's ask the bramble. And Jotham, with surgical precision, has filleted leaders of Shechem. They haven't embraced Abimelech. They're using him. He was their last choice. They they didn't give him 70 pieces of silver thinking he was going to go do some community service project. They dangled a carrot on a hook so Abimelech would think he was king. But they know who's really running the show. They can rest easy They've got their marionette king right where they want him. The political gurus will keep pulling and tugging on the strings until the Lord comes and cuts them off. And that's exactly what Jotham says is going to happen. Let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and devour Abimelech. Jotham says there will be devastating retribution for the evils you have sown. You empowered a bramble king, and you'll receive a bramble reward. In other words, you have chosen your own destruction. Not only the fact of it, but the means of it. The leaders of Shechem will reap what they have sown. They're clever political politicking cannot violate the way God's world works. These leaders aren't ignorant or mistaken. They willfully and consciously chose a malevolent and bloodthirsty king. Jotham knows it, the leaders of Shechem certainly know it, and now so will everyone else who hears Jotham's voice echoing down the mountain. No one will have an excuse. There will be no hearsay, no fake news. This evil narrative won't be able to be contained. And so now the stage is set for the rest of the story. Abimelech has secured his throne by any means necessary. The leaders of Shechem and all Israel have a message of doom ringing in their ears. So what's going to happen? Will God allow an immoral and faithless leader to reign with impunity? How will his plans and his purposes, you know, for blessing and shalom come about when evil seems to have won the day? And how about for us? What, what might a story like this mean for people like us? How might a story like this inform the way we think about the evils we see in our world? How, how might a story like this convince us to, to lay down the swords that we can use to make a name for ourselves, to convince us to surrender our claims on our little hills? Will a story like this incline our hearts to a better king? Well, to answer those questions, we need to see how the story plays out. What happens to the manipulative leaders of Shechem? How will their tribalistic, low-hanging fruit of a choice turn out? Enter Gaal, son of Ebed. He's the new guy in town, and he starts getting wind of the discord between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And more than that, he hears that the leaders of Shechem's criterion for the throne are pretty low. Whose blood runs through your veins? So he goes and gets one of those 23andMe tests, or however they figured those things out back then, and it turns out that he's a genuine Shechemite. What luck. He's a descendant of Hamor, one of the founders of Shechem. So he waits till everyone gets blitzed at harvest time and and steeled with liquid courage, he decides to start a coup. Who is Abimelech? And who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Would that this people were under my hand. Then I would remove Abimelech I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. The leaders of Shechem's tribalism is leading to civil war. Because they chose the bramble path to security, they're going to keep getting bramble bids for power. Their faithlessness to the Lord led to a disordered longing for security, which led to a worthless criterion which led to their demise. No match for Abimelech. He squashes Gaal's pitiful uprising, and then he unleashes a scorched earth campaign on the people of Shechem. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it, and he razed the city, and he sowed it with salt. But the leaders of Shechem escaped, and they sought refuge in the tower of their god. Be our refuge, O Baal, save us from this monstrous Abimelech bale. But Abimelech took an axe, cut down brushwood, took it up, laid it on his shoulder, unloads the brushwood around the tower, and lights it on fire. And all the people in the Tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. Their grasping for security, apart from the Lord, ended And their demise, the very means they used, became their destruction. So then what becomes of Abimelech? What will become of this ruthless king that desperately wanted to make a name for himself? Well, he decides that 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 burning of the tower went so well, he would try it again in Thebez. And he rages towards this town, and the people of Thebez flee to the tower as the people of Shechem did, and he came to the tower and he fought against it and he drew near to the door to burn it with fire because he's been consumed with evil. He, he thought he could control it. He thought he could wield it at will. But what he desired became what he needed and, and then it became what he could not live without. What promised freedom from the shackles of Gideon's family turns out to be a, a more constricting reality. Faithlessness to the Lord led to savagery towards his brothers, led to ruthlessness towards the people of Shechem, led to vengeance on the leaders of Shechem, which would have led to further destruction, if not for an unnamed woman. An unnamed woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Abimelech rose to power with a sword and a stone. And the stone of retribution has just crashed on his head. But what about the sword? His last words are to his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, a woman killed him. To his dying breath, he will not relinquish control of his life. I am my own. I belong to no one in life or in death. What motivated Abimelech? An insatiable desire to be his own man, to be self-made, to make a name for himself. I, Abimelech, I surely can't die at the hands of a woman. That would be shameful. I deserve better. I decide for myself how I die. His self-quest ends in self-destruction. Retribution in the means and in the desires of his heart. Abimelech got what he wanted. We might have suspected that this fiasco in Shechem would have ended poorly without any outside help, but instead our story is bookended by two theological explanations. Verses 23 and 24 and 56 and 57 tell us that God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, so that all the evil which was committed against Gideon, that is, Jeroboam, that against his sons would return on their heads. In other words, this sequence of events were part of God's rightful judgment. The Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked, nor in judgment. But when people rise up against him and his beloved, he sometimes gives them exactly what they want. He doesn't have to be center stage to be the true sovereign. The story clearly demonstrates that rejecting God is, is inherently self-destructive. As we have just seen, an in, in anti-God future, an anti-God vision of the good life leads to an anti-human future. Which is why God sharply opposes it. He opposes it because it's evil and He is a righteous judge. But He also opposes it because the future He has planned is not one of curse but blessing. The the future He has planned is a a God and human reality where the desires of our hearts and the longings of our souls are are fully (laughs) and forever satisfied. It is a reality with a better king who has secured a forever future. Our story is severe. It's a severe mercy. But it is a mercy. Lest the disease of evil spread throughout all the land. Lest God's people think that evil will go unchecked. Lest God's people fret when evil kings and regimes rise to power. Lest God's people think another God can grant them their heart's longings. Lest God's people think that desperate times call for desperate measures. Fidelity to the Lord and faithfulness to his people is the way to life, then, now, and always. The last words of our story are not Abimelechs, actually. their their gods. Upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam, which I think means even if the people were faithless to the Lord and disloyal to Gideon, yet God will remain faithful. The last two names we hear are Jotham and Jeroboam. God is the God who remembers his people even if no one else does even if evil people rise up against them. People, names, persons, you and me matter to God. Evil doesn't get the last word. He does. Evil may win the day, but the battle belongs to the Lord. He alone can ensure that the only thing that evil can ultimately accomplish is its own demise which I think is meant to be the ultimate motivation for us to continue to to find our deepest sense of identity in Jesus. The king who wore a crown of thorns and became great not through self-seeking but through self-emptying. A king who became cursed on a tree that we might be forgiven. A king who defeated evil by going through it He is our security. He is the reason and the way we can more and more learn to entrust every area of our lives to God, to continue in the slow way of sowing to the Spirit, because all who do so shall reap eternal life. Evil, as our story clearly displays, is incoherent. It has no staying power. We cannot, nor could we ever achieve the life of of shalom and and blessing that we were made for through immoral or evil means. Faithfulness isn't expedient, self-sacrifice isn't pragmatic, and love isn't efficient. But the one who does the will of the Lord remains forever, and no one can snatch us from his hands we are safe, and we are seen in Jesus. We are loved and cared for by him, and so we can more and more learn to entrust every area of our lives to his care for us. So let us turn to him now as we do every week in a time of confession.